All righty. I guess they found that guy that was dumb. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited to be here, excited to get to, to spend some time with you guys tonight. If I can get this mic pack on, there we go. Um, now, I know that in the past, um, there's been a lot of sports people and different leaders and things like that. And a couple weeks ago, Hickman Ewing came up to me and said, now, you're involved with sports in some way, right? I was like, well, I coach middle school track. Does that count? And <laughs> said, yeah, that'll work. So um, yeah, I, I mean, as far as like sports and stuff goes, I mean, I was an athlete. I ran and swam. If you count those as sports, some people do, some people don't. Um, I always did. But um, I was excited to get the opportunity to do this. Uh, one, just to kind of get to know y'all a little bit and uh, see what all of this is all about and um, spend some time with you. So thank you to, uh, to John and to Sam and all the others that helped run this and got me involved with it and uh, excited to, uh, to be doing it. Now, I've heard a lot of messages to men over the years. And I thought through, if I'm speaking to men, what kind of a message do I want to communicate. And I've heard a lot of them on Father's Days and at, at men's messages, men's events, youth lock-in, whatever. You know, we talk to men, we talk to guys, and so often it's so easy to fall into some kind of works-based application to whatever the message is. You need to do this. You need to do more of this. You need to do less of that. You need to change this. You need to, you need to, you need to. And I realized as I thought about that, I was tempted to run with that. I was tempted to do that. I was tempted to tie it back to a time in high school when I was running cross country and state championship. I fell with about a half a mile left in the race and I had to get back up and finish the race. And it's going to be all like running the race with endurance and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, I don't think it's way you want to go. And I think it's, there's a reason why we kind of go that way. Uh, people generally, you want to walk away with a practical application, right? That's, that's one of the, when you do preaching and I studied homiletics and you do all that stuff, you want to have one thing that people can walk away with and, and that's going to be applied to their life as they leave. And, and uh, I get that. But also I think there's a, a draw to that because we're men and we do, right? Something needs to be done, we do. It's kind of how God has designed us. That's in our nature. That's how we are built. So think about a, a couple of things. Think about a conversation you've had with your wife or a, uh, if you're dating somebody or whatever, and um, she is just telling you about a frustration, something difficult, something hard that happened, something they're upset about and frustrated with. What's the first thing we do? Here are seven ways you can fix this situation, right? What you need to do is do this, 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 and this, and then that will take care of everything. What is she, does she want that though? No. But we do. That's what we want to do. We want to fix things. We want to shape things and all of that. Think about a time that maybe a superior at work gave you a project or a job or something they wanted you to do and you weren't qualified. You didn't know how to do it. Didn't even know the first thing about it. But you're like, yeah, I got you. I'm on it. I got it. Because we do. Right? We, we don't either want to admit that I don't know what I'm doing or I just I, I see something that needs to happen and even if I'm not fully prepared to do it, I'm going to dive in and get it done because we do. So a couple of personal illustrations here. Um, the first one is this. I am not a fan of ladders. Just so you all know, Luke knows this about me. Um, we had an experience a few weeks ago. I don't like ladders. 
I'm, I'm fine with heights. I, like, I don't mind being on top of a building or a roof, but the, the getting up there is the problem. It's the ladder that's the problem. When I was pastoring in Arkansas um, every 4th of July and then at Christmas and at Easter and all these different times, we had these flags that we would change out and around the sanctuary, and you had to crawl up on an a, about a 12-foot A-frame ladder and lean around a corner to be able to get it onto the column. I did it every time because it needed to be done. And I got down and was sweating and shaking and upset about it and frustrated. And then at my house, um, what, Caleb, about a year ago or so, or a couple years after we moved in, we had this kind of open window that was up high on our ceiling. And whoever lived there before us had covered it up to block the light coming in. And we were like, that's crazy. We want light coming in. And so I put the big ladder up there. And I got about halfway up it, and I started shaking. And my wife was like, you want me to do it? I was like, no. <laughs> I got it. I got this, you know, and I, I, I played it off. I talked about how, you know, you know, I need to do this. This is a lesson for our kids to, to overcome their fears and struggles and stuff. But really, it was just, I didn't want to admit I couldn't. I saw something that needed to happen, and I wanted to do it. So while I'm not a fan of ladders, I am a fan of being a people pleaser. That's, what, that's kind of how I'm, I am uh, wired, and sometimes I don't like to admit I don't know something. And uh, early in my ministry, I was put in charge of organizing an event um, that I had no business organizing. I didn't know anything about the people involved. I didn't know anything about what needed to happen. I didn't know the first thing. At this point in my ministry, I didn't know the first thing about delegating and leading and all that kind of stuff. Um, this is one of my early lessons in leadership. I was very bad at delegating. I was completely overwhelmed. And I told nobody, and it went terribly. Because I didn't want to admit I was wrong, and it needed to be done. The problem with that, other than the practical side of, like, things just don't go well when you try to do things that way, the other side of that is it reveals something about us that urge ultimately comes from a place of pride. And that pride is root to all kinds of problems. Right, so there's a story in the Bible. I'm not going to like make us read it or anything. There's a story in Scripture about a guy named Jephthah. Everybody heard of Jephthah? Judges chapter 11 and 12. Um, so Jephthah was a guy. He was born to a guy named Gilead, a, a super wealthy, respected leader. Um, he was born to Gilead, but he was born to him illegitimately. So his mom was a prostitute. His brothers all ostracized him, kicked him out, did not want to be around him. But he was a a, a very mighty warrior, it says. He was good at fighting. He was good at battle. He was good at war. So there came this point in Israel's history, and if you don't know much about the book of Judges, this is how I kind of explained it to my students when I was teaching the Old Testament. Um, in the book of Judges, you, you see the cycle that Israel goes through. And it's just over and over and over. They start out, God blesses them, and they look at that blessing, and they're like, we must be awesome because God has chosen to bless us. And so they get there and they build up some pride and then they, they, get, they disobey and they start doing terrible things and the phrase that gets used over and over is that everyone did what was right in their own eyes and they do that and then there ends up being some kind of curse. They're taken over by a different country. They're invaded by a different nation. They're carried off into exile. Whatever it is, there's, there's all kinds of disease and all kinds of stuff that happens and in the middle of that, they cry out to God and say, God, save us from the consequences of our own actions and God is gracious and they repent and they say, God, we'll follow you. We'll come back to you. They repent and God gives them grace and God blesses them again and, and they get prideful and they go into disobedience. It goes over and over and over. In Judges 11 and 12, we find ourselves in one of those consequences phases that Israel has been disobedient. Israel has been doing whatever they wanted to do and they're being attacked every year by the Ammonites. 
So similar to Gideon, they were, they were attacked every year and they would come in and they would just come in and ransack and then leave. This was happening to them at this time, but it's the Ammonites that are coming and doing it. And so suddenly, the brothers all get together and say, you know what we need? We need Jephthah. He's a mighty warrior. He can fight. He can do these things and, and all that stuff. And yeah, he's not really, he's only a half-brother and all that kind of stuff, but we need him. And they go to him, and they ask for help to fight against the Ammonites. And he prays, and he asks God for victory, and he, 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 he gives credit to God for what's about to happen, and they win. Huge victory. It's awesome. They defeat the Ammonites. They push them back to where they're from, all that kind of stuff. But then they come back again. And this time, for some reason, Jephthah takes a different approach. This time, he makes a bargain with God. And he says, he, he sees something that needs to be done. He jumps in and he takes it on himself instead of relying on God. He says, this needs to happen. And I can do it. I can make it happen. And so he starts trying to make it happen. If you're ever in that spot, you actually ask for help. That's a, that's a lesson in maturity, isn't it? Being willing to admit that you don't know. Being willing to admit that you're not ready for it. He didn't do that. He makes a bargain with God. He gets in this spot that a lot of you have probably been in, I know that I have been in, where you're in a tough spot and you say, God, if you'll just do this, then I will do this for you. God, if you will make this happen, if you'll come through and give me a victory here, then I will serve you. I will, I'll, I'll go back to church. I'll get involved. I'll do whatever, right? Or, or another way of saying, God, I'm doing my part. Now it's your turn to do yours. We don't like to say it that way, but that's kind of what we feel sometimes, right? When things don't go exactly right or things are difficult, and we say, God, I've done my part. Now it's time for you to step in and do yours. Both of those things are pride. That's all pride. And the problem is, is that it becomes this transaction between us and God that puts the responsibility on us. And what it reveals is that we don't really trust God to do things the way we wish they would be done, or we don't trust him to do it at all, and so I've got to get it done because it needs to be done. And I'm not going to admit that I don't know how to do it, so I'm just going to dive in and do it. And let's be honest, sometimes we kind of like that, don't we? I'm not a control freak. I just like things to be done a certain way just, you know, prefer if it happened this way rather than the way that you're doing it, right? We kind of like that. And so Jephthah's deal is this. He says, God, if you will give us victory over the Ammonites, I will sacrifice for you. Which sacrifice is not outside of the norm for Israel back then, right? So those sacrifices happened every year, multiple times a year. There were multiple sacrifices they did. But Jephthah goes a step further and he says, God, I'm going to, I'm going to, make an even bigger deal with you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer something that no one else has probably offered you. When I get back home from battle, the first thing that comes out of my house when I get home, that's what I'm going to sacrifice to you. Now, he's probably hoping that the dog or the, the donkey or the sheep or whatever, right? Does anybody know this story? Anybody know what comes out of his house when he gets home? His daughter. His daughter. So now he's in a spot where I had to do it, right? This is, I've got to get something done. I've got to make something happen. And now he's in a spot where he's made this pledge to God to sacrifice whatever, and it's going to be his daughter. The two massive problems with this. This was an ungodly sacrifice. God never asked for this. 
God never once asked for human sacrifice. In fact, God went out of his way to punish nations that practiced inhuman sacrifice. So there were a couple of gods that, that were popular in, in, in uh, ancient Canaan that did human sacrifice and child sacrifice. And so in early, like in the book of Joshua, when, when they go into Canaan and God's like, just destroy all of them, right? Kill everybody, burn down the city. That's part of why, because they were doing evil things like sacrificing people. So it was an ungodly thing that he decided that he needed to do, but also it was unnecessary. He had just had victory because he relied on God. And he trusted God. He said, God, I give it to you. You carry this. I'll be your obedient servant, and I'll trust you for the victory. We see a similar kind of thing with uh, Apostle Peter. Peter, um, if you don't know much about Peter, Peter is a guy who often puts his foot in his mouth, who's eager to, uh, to say something just because something needs to be said, or if he feels like it's been quiet for too long, he'll speak up and say something. He's that kind of a guy. And while they're in the garden, Jesus is, um, Jesus is they're in the garden, they're praying. This is in, in late in the book of John where, where Jesus has been praying and he's sweating drops of blood because he knows the cross is just the next day. He knows that's coming. He knows that's about to happen. And then Judas shows up with a, with a hundred Roman soldiers to betray Jesus, to turn him over to the Romans, to get this whole process of the crucifixion started. And Peter's like, nope, not on my watch. Pulls out his sword, hacks out of one of the Roman soldiers, cuts his ear off, right? How does Jesus respond to that? He heals him. He puts it back. And he's like, Peter, chill. Just stop it. This is supposed to be happening. Now, it's not the way you wanted it to happen. It's not the way you thought it should happen, but this is the way it's supposed to happen. And that, that same pride that kind of led Peter to do this thing, right? And here's, here's the thing with that story too, just kind of parentheses on this. Um, when they get there and they say, you know, our, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And most of our translations, he, he says, I am he. In the original Greek, it just says, I am. And it's that same I am from the Old Testament. Right? When, when Moses says, who do I tell Pharaoh? I am. And it tells us in the Gospels that when Jesus says, I am, those Roman soldiers all got knocked back and fell down at his word. So Peter has just seen this happen, right? And still he thinks, I've got to do something. Something needs to be done. I'm here. I'm going to do it. I've got this. I'm going to take care of it. And Jesus heals him and heals the, the Roman soldier. And, and that pride in Peter eventually leads him to a point where he's sitting around a campfire as Jesus is on trial and people start going, oh, I know you. You were with Jesus. No. No, I wasn't. Until eventually, two or three or four people do it and eventually a little girl comes up to him and is like, yeah, I, I, your accent, I know. You were with Jesus. And he starts screaming and cussing and getting mad. And in this point, he, he hears, um, he, he realizes Jesus had predicted this would happen. And he understands that his pride has ruined him. Now, Jesus is gracious because a few days later, after Jesus died, was buried, resurrected, they're out fishing, right? And as they're fishing, they see somebody on the shore of the lake cooking breakfast. And it's Jesus. And they sit and have breakfast with, with their friend they, just, they know just died. And now he's alive, and he's cooking them breakfast. And they sit around breakfast, and Jesus, three times, says, do you love me? 
do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. He still had work for him to do. There are types and consequences of pride that we don't always see. Now, it's, it's really easy for us to see pride in the person who brags about everything. Like, we know that person, right? We know that guy who can't wait to tell you the great thing he did or how well he did it, did it better than anybody else, did it more often than anybody else, whatever, right? And sometimes it'll be even like a thinly veiled, you know, like, well, I'm not, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say this about me, but some people say, right? So there's, that's, that's easy to see. It's easy to see pride in our own stubbornness where we say, like, like I'm just, I'm just going to do it the way I want to do it. We were actually just having a conversation about my stubbornness. Uh, I broke my wrist this summer and uh, I had to wear a brace for six weeks. And I was, we were at the lake with some friends and I was picking up an ice chest. My wife says, Josh, I don't think you're supposed to pick that up. I said, the doctor said I had to wear the brace. He didn't say anything about what I was doing while I was wearing the brace. I'm wearing the brace, right? I'm going to do what I, it needs to be done. I'm going to do it. My wrist still hurts sometimes. We can easily see pride in that boss that's a micromanager, and that boss that is uh, overbearing, I know we all have those stories. Maybe some of us sometimes are that guy. But that has to be this way. And I don't trust you to get it done, so I'm going to check in and check in and check in and check in and make sure and all this kind of stuff and I, all of that. Now, there are some types of pride that we don't see as easily. We don't always easily see pride in the man who is so busy holding it all together that he won't seek out someone to talk to and ask for help. We don't see pride in that guy. We don't, we, don't, we don't always recognize it. It's there, but don't always recognize it. We don't always recognize the pride in the man who wears heavily the weight of responsibility for fighting for his family. As the, the economy does everything that it does. We don't see pride easily in the man who piles expectations on himself as a husband and as a father, as a friend. But that's the same pride. That's the same pride that says these things just have to get done. You know, it, it needs to be done. I've got it. Even if I'm not in the right state of mind or even if I'm not in the right position, even if I'm not sure what I'm doing, it needs to be done, so I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm suffering. I'm not tell anybody that I'm struggling. I've just got to get it done. I was there in 2007, 2000, yeah, 2007. Um, 2007, we bought a house in January of 2007. February is actually Valentine's Day 2007. found that we were expecting our first child. And then uh, in June, 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 it was the end of June 2007, we lost that child. Um, that was hard. And I had moments where I let it out, that I let my wife know that I wasn't okay and stuff. But for the most part, I had to go back to work had to get things done. And I don't have to tell y'all what happened in 2008 with the economy. I was in sales, a job that was 80% commission. That all went away. And so now we're <coughs> grieving. We've got a new baby at this point. A year later, we, we, we have our first child, uh, Chloe, that uh, we still get to, to raise. We'll get to see Emma one day in heaven. Um, but through all of that, as the money was drying up and we were getting letters from the bank and all that stuff, I just got to figure this out. I just got to get this done. There are consequences to this. There are consequences. There is a mental health crisis in America among men. 
at least 10% of men have an eating disorder. At least 6 million men. Oop, that went too far. Or not far enough. Uh, hold on, I'm sorry. At least 6 million men uh, report depression each year. At least 3 million men report panic disorders and various phobas each year. How does that manifest? What does that actually look like? looks like escapism. We escape to work. We don't want to come home. We want to stay at work. We escape into sports, whether we're participating or watching. We escape into other entertainment, including entertainment on the Internet. We escape to those things, into a world that we have some kind of control, into a world that we feel like we can be in charge of things. We, we, uh, it manifests in a misuse of alcohol and drugs. It manifests in controlling violent, abusive behavior. It manifests in anger, irritability, and aggressiveness. Uh, it manifests in risky behavior, doing dangerous things, driving fast, driving scary, all that kind of stuff. It manifests in uh, noticeable changes in mood, energy level, and appetite, and difficulty concentrating or feeling restless or on edge. Um, those aren't things that we'd look at and go, yeah, he's hurting. Those are things you look at and go, yeah, he's a guy. But it is hurting. It is a problem. It is something that we don't like to deal with or talk about. And what complicates that is men are much, more, much less likely to actually tell anybody or reach out to anybody and say, hey, I'm not okay. Hey, I need some help. Hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I've got all this weight and pressure and stuff in my life, and I, I just can't deal with it. So what happens is most of that is underreported. There are probably more men struggling than what is in those statistics, and what it does is it, uh, we're less likely to seek help, so those symptoms just, just fester, and they get worse. And those things happen and keep going. So what? Now what? What do we do? Let go. I'm giving you permission to stop feeling like everything is on your shoulders and that you have to figure it all out. I'm giving you permission to do the brave, courageous thing and say, I don't have it all together. I need some help. This, this hard thing has happened. I need somebody to talk to. And I'm giving you permission just to, to not wear the weight we weren't designed to. Part of the curse in Genesis 3 was this difficulty in work, right? That before that, all Adam had to do to, to take care of the tend the garden was basically just to, to walk around. Work is good, right? Work is pre-fall. God gave Adam jobs to do before there was sin in the world. But when that sin came, work got hard, and that weight of what we are responsible for, that weight of being men, of being the leaders in our home, of being the, 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 the husbands and the fathers and the friends and those people, that weight is there, that's godly, but it's been corrupted by sin. It's been corrupted by pride. We've allowed it to fester and grow, and it's just not okay. It's not cool, whatever. Let it go. This permission to recognize that you can't do it all. But there is one who can. There is one who has. And he did it 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. I don't know where you all are tonight. I don't know 
what all you've got going on in your lives. I don't know where you are as far as your faith or going to church or whatever. But this is just my throwing this out there to you. The weight that you're wearing, the, the hardship that you're carrying, the burdens that you're carrying that you just don't want anybody to know, give them to Jesus. Tell them, I can't. I can't do it anymore. I can't hold it all together. I've, I've gotten in over my head and I don't know where to go with this. Jesus, take it from me. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to, to find somebody to talk to. I mean, those of you who are, who are here tonight as guests of somebody from our church, go to them. I'm volunteering them on their behalf. They didn't know I was going to do that, but I'm telling you they're willing to, if not talk to you, get you in touch with somebody who, who can talk to you. But all that, I, I, want, I wanted this to be a thing where your practical application is to take a step of doing less, to take a step of releasing yourself from the obligations and the pressures that are not of God and that you're not meant to carry. So, as you go back to work tomorrow, as you go back to your homes tonight and tomorrow and, and, and over this next week, just deal in your quiet moments. In the morning before you go to a job that you're not sure you know how to do or you don't like or whatever it is, in the afternoon before you come home to a family that you're struggling to lead and struggling to take care of, in those quiet moments, instead of just stressing about it, pray. Instead of just letting it knot up in your stomach and ball up inside of your brain until you can't handle the pressure, just talk to God. Talk to him. He's listening and he has grace. In the same way that the, the, the Israelites deliberately disobeyed and God showed them grace, that, that Peter demonstrated his pride and Jesus showed him grace. There's grace for you. There's grace for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, uh, for all of these men. I thank you for uh, just an opportunity to talk to them for a few minutes. I thank you for, for the things I know that you are doing because you are a God that is intimately involved in all of the details of our lives. And Father, I pray that, uh, that, that if there's somebody here tonight that, that needs to um, at least let you carry some of the weight they've been carrying, they're, they're your child, but they've been trying to do on their own, give them the strength and courage to do that. They're here tonight, Father, and they don't know anything about following you, and they don't know what Jesus, who Jesus was or what he did, and they don't know anything about anything. Lord, I pray you'll just, your Holy Spirit will work in them and draw them out and shape them and, and, and bring them to a point where they can say, I need help. I need God. I need somebody to come in and show me how to get to Jesus. Father, I pray that we'll be faithful to do that for them. In Jesus' name, amen.